do appreciate you joining us at Impact tonight. As Nathan noted earlier, there is a, there is a Murray State game tonight. They're playing in the old Racer Arena. Um, and we do have quite a few students there, leaders there. But uh, I am firm believer tonight that uh, what's going to happen here at Impact is uh, going to be even better. Uh, I believe, if you look around, we're definitely missing some people, missing some leaders, some more empty seats at all. But, but, but here's what I believe, students. Like, if you just focus on God's word tonight, I don't care how many people are here, aren't here, God can move. And I believe that tonight God will move through one of my favorite chapters in the book of Revelation, one of the most critical chapters in the book of Revelation. You came tonight to open up the word of God, which I invite you to do right now, to Revelation 4, and hear directly from the Lord, directly from his word, an absolutely crucial chapter. I will warn you, it's very tough, but it's crucial. So to start us off, I, I, you guys know that, that I love the, the city of Chicago. I've taken many of you to Chicago before. There's, there's really two, there's two views of Chicago that we can take. If you've ever been in the streets of Chicago with me, whether it be on the north side, west side, south side, downtown, whatever, you know that on the streets of Chicago is much different than, for instance, if you're up on the sky deck of Chicago. So go ahead, I'm going to show them this picture of the sky deck of Chicago. If you don't know what that is, that is the sky deck of Chicago. You can, if you're brave enough, walk out of this cliff, it's got glass under you, and you can see the entire skyline of the city. You can see the whole city. Now, now contrast that to the streets of Chicago, down on, on the bottom, right? You, if you saw a person down there, they wouldn't even look like an ant. They would look smaller than an ant. So imagine you're on the streets of Chicago. How easy would it be to get lost? Some of you have been to Chicago with me, and you know that as much as I've been there, I get lost. Like, I will take you in the wrong direction, and we've got to turn around and walk a mile the other way sometimes. Like, I get lost in Chicago. It's, it's easy to get confused in Chicago. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the things going on in the streets of Chicago, the crime, the suffering, the sin that is prevalent all throughout the city. But if you walked up in this sky deck, all of that confusion, all of those things you're caught up in at the bottom of the city, it doesn't matter anymore. Because all you're seeing at the, at, the, at the top of Chicago, at the sky deck of Chicago, is the beauty of the city. The sin and the suffering, they're still down there. It doesn't vanish. But now you're at the top of the city and all you see is beauty. And I want to compare that, I want to contrast that to down here on earth versus up there in heaven. Obviously tonight we are all down here on earth. And let me tell you, it is easy to get confused down here. It's easy to get caught up down here in the things of this world. So easy. It's easy to get consumed in sin down here. It's easy to get overcome by suffering down here. But if tonight we will shift our eyes from down here to up there, where heaven is, I think we can start to see the whole picture. Now our sin and our suffering, it's still going to exist, but they can be put into the right perspective. 
They still exist down here on earth, but we know what's going to happen up there in heaven. We know there is a place coming. It's called heaven where sin and suffering are no more. So tonight we have to shift our eyes from down here to up there. And this is what the Bible is going to teach us in this absolutely amazing chapter of Revelation 4. Yes, you and I, we live down here where there's a lot of sin and suffering, but there is life after this life. There is a place up there. It's called heaven, and there, there is no more sin. There is no more suffering. And so our plea tonight is just this that's on the screen. Down here, down here, where there's sin and suffering, don't forget about up there. As you walk the streets of this world, look up and know that heaven is coming. And it's all about to get a whole lot better. Let's read from Revelation uh, chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to cover <coughs> the entire chapter tonight, but we're just going to look at verse 1 here to begin. The Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Let's pray together. God, I can only imagine there's students here tonight, there's leaders here tonight. God, I myself confess that I am anxious about the world I live in. I have sin in my own life. I have suffering in my life. And it's hard. And everyone here tonight is going through something hard. We're, going, we're struggling with some type of sin, but God, would you, by your spirit tonight, through chapter four tonight, would you just... Lift up our weary eyes, not to down here, but to up there, where you are, where you're seated, and where we are headed if we do trust in you. God, would you show us that down here we can't forget about up there? Would you make tonight, which may feel like an off night to many, would you make tonight a memorable impact because you are present? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Like I said, this, this is a, a tough chapter, but really like I could probably lead with that for the rest of this book because the rest of this book is tough. And to understand the rest of this book from chapters 4 through 22, I think it's important we actually back up tonight for just a little bit and we go back to chapter 1. And then you can invite you to turn there into Bibles if you'd like. I'll also put it on the screen. And up to, up to this point, we really haven't given one particular verse in chapter 1 much attention, and it deserves a lot of attention, if we're going to understand this book. It's Revelation 1:19, <clears throat> and it says this. This is right after the vision of the Son of Man. At the very end of it, Jesus looks at John and he says this, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. So write what you have seen, comma, those that are... And those that are to take place after this. Critical verse, if you're going to understand this book. And just a couple of things to note from this verse. First, just as a reminder, this revelation that we're reading, it doesn't belong to John. It belongs to Jesus, and he's given it to John so that he can make its way to us. You remember that? He's writing down what Jesus has shown him. 
But second, more importantly for us tonight, we need to notice that there's two different things that John was given to see in that verse. First, he got to see those things that are, meaning those things that are taking place. And so I believe this is referring to all the things that happen down here, right now, here on earth, while we, the church, are here. Like we're going through these things that are. It's those things that have happened in church history that are happening in the current times and that will happen soon. Those are the the things that are. But second, verse 19, 19 says that John also saw those things that are to take place after this. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky. I need, you to, I need you to follow me because this is important. If those things that are includes everything that happens here and now, down here, that must mean that those things that are to take place after this then refers to everything that happens not now, not down here, but later. Does this make sense? And so, and so the things that are, that's what takes place here and now, while the things that are to take place happen later. And I'll be honest, as you read this book, and we're going to read through the whole thing, it can be really, really difficult to, to figure out which one of these, those things that are, or those things that are going to take place, that John is writing about. But thankfully, the first of the book starts pretty obvious because we just finished chapters 2 and 3. And you guys remember that John was writing in chapters 2 and 3 to the church. So he's writing about clearly in chapters 2 and 3 those things that are, those things that have happened to those seven churches in Asia, but also those things that are currently happening in the church age and those things that will continue to happen in the church age while we're here on earth. All right, chapters 2 and 3, it's those seven churches in Asia. And you guys should remember that. If, if this, you should remember this. If not, jot it down tonight because this is important in Revelation. Anytime you get to that number 7 in this book, you need to remember that that 7 means something more than just the number 7. And when it comes to chapters 2 and 3, that number 7, we know that, it, that these letters weren't just for those seven original churches, but they're for all churches of all time. Why? Because that number seven means perfection and wholeness all throughout this book. So it's not just for those seven original churches, but it's for our church. It's for the church down the road. It's for churches who came before us. It's for churches who came after us. It's for all of us. And so all the things written in chapters two and three, obviously they took place 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor, but they're still taking place right here today. The suffering they're going through, the sin they're going through, it's happening right now. Those things that are, right? But then we get to chapter 4, and the very first thing that John writes in verse 1 is this. So go back to chapter 4 with me. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And so follow me because it gets really, really hard, but it's really, really important. In chapters 2 and in chapter 3, John is clearly writing about things that are happening now, right? 
But then in chapter 4, he's clearly now given instructions by Jesus to switch for this chapter, and I would argue for the next chapter, to now write about those things that are taking place after this, or the things that will happen to us later. And when we hear that word later, we think, oh, so you're talking about when Jesus returns, that later. I'm not talking about that later, or the events leading up to Jesus' return, because sometimes later in Revelation is referring to later after our life here on earth. We're going to experience death, and that comes later, and what happens after death comes later for you and me. So I know this is really, really confusing, but, but here's just, I'm going to help you out. Here's a spoiler alert of what this chapter is all about. You see, through John, Jesus is about to give us a glimpse into heaven. Have you ever wondered what heaven looked like? You ever read like the Jesus Storybook Bible, the Big Picture Storybook Bible, you flip to the end, and how they depict heaven? Well, it's really undepictable, but tonight you and I are going to get a glimpse, a taste of heaven. Now, I'm not talking about the eternal heaven. I'm not talking about the new heaven and the new earth. That's going to come even later in Revelation, but Instead, in chapter 4, Jesus is going to give us a glimpse of what is called the intermediate heaven. Huge word, but very important. Intermediate heaven. And the intermediate heaven is where all believers go who die down here, and where all believers who will die will go down here, and they stay up there in this intermediate heaven until Jesus comes back and he will usher in the eternal heaven. So for us, the, the whole point is this. Chapter 4 is no longer talking about those things that are. You are not going to experience chapter 4 today unless you die tonight, which is a possibility. And the reason that is because we're down here. We're on earth. Right now is happening right now, but chapter 4 is going to take place up there. It's going to take place later. Okay, and so with all this in mind, here's the first thing we need to take away from chapter 4 tonight. If heaven is up there, and it is, that means this. Everything happening down here, all the sin and all the suffering, it's not final. Sin and suffering aren't final down here. Right now, in this moment, down here, there is all types of sin in this room. There is all types of suffering in this room. But one day, later, up there, there will be no more sin and there will be no more suffering. So in other words, if later we're going to go to heaven, if we're going to go up there, that means that now everything that's happening to us down here, particularly our sin and our suffering, is not going to have the final say over us. It doesn't define us. So I want us to look back at verse 1 one more time. It says, after this I looked. And we should be asking, well, after what? After, after what, John? After this I looked, after what? Well, after chapters 2 and 3, right? Like this is an easy answer. After what? After chapters 2 and 3. This is really important because you guys remember what chapters 2 and 3 were about. We know there were the seven churches in Asia, but what was the content of those letters about? It was about two things. It was all about sin, and it was all about suffering. Like every single letter of the seven either had 
a message about sin or it had a message about suffering. Some had a mixture of both, right? And so now, immediately, when we flip to chapter 4, John writes, after this. Well, after what? He's saying, after I saw all of this sin, after I saw all of this suffering in chapters 2 and 3 that were going on in the church, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here in this very first verse is that everything we're going through down here, our sin, our suffering, everything the church will go through is not final. There is life after this life. You walked through those doors tonight, and every single one of you, including myself, are struggling with some degree, some type of sin in your life. And if you, if you say I'm lying, if you say that is false, well, the Bible would say, 1 John 1, 8, that you're actually deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. You have sin in your life, no matter who you are. But here's the good news if you're in Christ this morning, or if you're in Christ tonight, if you walked through those doors and you're in Christ, your struggle against that sin will not overtake you. It is not final. It has not the final word over you. And this is, this is great. It is no coincidence that John gets this vision of heaven in chapter 4 immediately after all the sin and suffering of chapters 2 and 3. I mean, just, just look at the last letter in chapter 3. The church of Laodicea. And you guys know that that's a church that Jesus calls lukewarm. They were the lukewarm church. They were struggling with sin big time. Like you're struggling with sin tonight, there's a chance Laodicea was, was struggling even worse. And some people look at them as like, they even wrongly call them unbelievers. But watch this amazing grace that happens to the church of Laodicea. They end chapter 3. This lukewarm church ends chapter 3. And then immediately, what does Jesus show us a vision of? Not of hell, but of heaven. Not of hell with despair and hopelessness, but of heaven with glory and hopefulness. And this should tell us that, yes, while we're going to struggle with sin here on earth, that sin does not ultimately have the final say over us because through his death and through his resurrection, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has won the victory for us over our sin. And so, yes, the lukewarm church of Laodicea at the end of chapter 3 leads us, not coincidentally, into this vision of heaven at the beginning of chapter 4, which they and we and all of us who trust in Jesus Christ can look forward to, no matter what we're walking through here on earth. Now, that Laodicea church, they were not faithful. They were, they were not good Christians. They did not do anything to deserve chapter 4. Nothing. But because Jesus purchased them by his blood they got in this should tell us it should remind us students please get this it's not about what you do that gets you into heaven it's not about your good works your church attendance your bible reading plan your prayer life your mom your dad who you know that gets you into heaven 
It's all about what Jesus Christ has done for you, period. And if you're truly a part of the church, nothing, and I mean nothing, nothing, nothing can keep you out of heaven, not even yourself. And that's Jesus' point. This isn't because you're special. It's not because Laodicea was special. It's not because you were faithful to Jesus your whole life. It's because Jesus is special. It's because he has been, will be, will forever be faithful to you your whole life, despite your unfaithfulness to him. So hear me say this tonight. If you are indeed a true believer in Jesus Christ tonight, you are eternally secure in Jesus. You will go to heaven and be with Jesus, not because of anything you did or will do, but all because of what he has done for you. That is good. Now we better understand, because that statement can be taken absolutely wild in an unintentional way that I don't mean it. You better understand that this does not give you, me, or anyone else a license to be lukewarm or a license to continue in sin. That is not what you're being permitted to do tonight by Jesus. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Because did you notice how Jesus ended each of those letters in chapters two and three? It was the same, every single one. He told his church to conquer. To conquer, not continue in sin, but to conquer their sin. So don't miss this. For true believers in this room tonight, Jesus' death, his resurrection, your eternal security in heaven will not make you want to continue in sin. Here's how you know you're a true believer. Your eternal security won't make you want to continue in sin. It will make you want to put to death your sin. It will make you want to conquer your sin. And so the fact that this lukewarm church of Laodicea gets to go to heaven doesn't show us that you can be lukewarm with no consequences. Instead, it shows you that you must conquer your lukewarmness. You must repent of your lukewarmness. Not a license to continue in sin, but to conquer your sin. But if we're following Jesus, it's not just sin we're struggling with tonight. But down here on earth, we're also, every single one of us, we're suffering And just think back to chapters 2 and 3 one more time. If the church wasn't struggling with sin, well, well, they were probably being put to death. They were suffering. They were going through tribulations. They were going through hardships. They were being mocked. They were being slandered. And in some cases, they were being murdered for their faith in Jesus. And some of you came to impact tonight... And perhaps you're not facing death, but you're still suffering in all types of different ways. For believers, maybe you're being mocked for sharing your faith at school. You tell me stories. Some of you told me stories about you getting mocked for sharing your faith at school. Maybe you're getting teased for obeying the Bible. In some ways, we're all going through tribulations. We're going through hard times. We get sick. We get injured. We lose friendships. We get lonely. People walk out on us. People give up on us. People move on from us. We suffer. You will suffer. But hear this good news. Just like your sin isn't final, the suffering you're going through down here, the tough times you're having to endure down here, there's an expiration date. 
it also isn't final. And you want to know how you can know? Because the sufferings of the church in chapters 2 and 3 give way to heaven in chapter 4. So students, hear me say this. You are going to suffer. I don't know who's telling you that you're not supposed to suffer. But they're wrong. So I just need to tell you this now. You will go through tribulations. But chapter 4 promises you that despite that, heaven is coming for you. A day is coming when all of your suffering will end and you will be with Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior in heaven where there is no more sin, where there is no more suffering. It's coming to an end. It is not final. Heaven is coming, so keep conquering. Conquer your sin, persevere in faith through your suffering. Or we could just say down here, don't forget about up there. In your locker rooms, in your classrooms, don't forget about up there. Which leads us to our second point. What's so good about up there? Why should I prefer up there opposed to down here? How do I know that after this life, life actually gets better? Well, here's why. Point number two. God is up there. Sin and suffering will not be final down here because God is up there. In verses two and three, John writes this. He says, at once, so after Jesus said, come up here, he says, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So catch this. John, who was not yet dead, gets to see a glimpse of heaven, and he's wrote it down for us so that we can receive this glimpse too. And the very first thing that John sees is what? One seated on the throne. He gets up to heaven. Come up here, John. I'll show you what takes place after this. He steps into heaven. The first thing he sees is one seated on the throne. Do you want to know what makes heaven so great? I don't mean to offend you, but it's not your family and friends. It's not Moses and Abraham. Is not angel wings and flying around on clouds. What makes heaven so great is that God is there. Notice, he's the first thing that John sees. He immediately draws all of John's attention. He's in the center of heaven, and the first thing John sees is one seated on the throne. God Almighty. So it leads me to say this, students. Everyone wants to go to heaven, right? But tonight, if you say you want to go to heaven, but you don't want God, that is, you don't love God, you don't obey God, you don't want to be with God, well, you're missing the entire point of heaven. The reason heaven is heaven is precisely because God is there. He is the point. He is the theme. He is the prize of heaven. Just imagine this. I'm a big basketball fan. I, I, 
as Nathan made fun of me, I love the Atlanta Hawks. Now, I've actually considered taking Maddox to an Atlanta Hawks game this year. We're, we're looking at a December game against the Detroit Pistons. I feel like we might actually win that game. But here's the thing. I'm a little worried because in NBA, like, there's something called load management. And I realize I could pay a lot of tickets for this, for this game, for me and Maddox. I could drive all the way to Atlanta, and our favorite player, Trey Young, very well might not play. And so I'm really hesitant, like, should I buy these tickets? Because if I drive to Atlanta and he doesn't play, I'm going to be disappointed and my little boy's going to be disappointed. Like, the whole reason we're going to go to this game is to see our favorite player. If you're a sports fan, you know this. I'm going to buy tickets to a game to see my favorite player. What about you Swifties? If Taylor Swift comes to Nashville and you buy tickets to a Taylor Swift concert and Miranda Lambert comes walking out on stage, are you going to be disappointed? You're going to be pretty disappointed. You bought tickets to a Taylor Swift concert to see Taylor Swift. She is the reason you go to the concert. Now make this connection. If you want to go to heaven tonight for any other reason than to be with God, we got a problem. He is the reason you go to heaven. The whole reason we go is to get to be with him. Everything about heaven, it's centered around God. He is the appeal of heaven. He's the glory of heaven. He's the treasure of heaven. He is the beauty of heaven. It's all about him. So if you don't love God, you won't like heaven. He is up there, and he alone is what makes heaven so great. But next I want to show you that he isn't alone up there. <laughs> because next we need to see this. God is there, but God's people are also up there. Move down to, to verse 4 with me. I love this. John, he sees God's throne, and then he sees this in verse 4. Around the throne, that's God's throne, were 24 thrones. And seated on those 24 thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So when John steps into heaven, the first thing he sees, the most significant thing he sees is God himself seated on his throne of glory. He's up there. But verse 4 tells us that he isn't alone up there. Because then John writes about he also sees 24 thrones with 24 elders seated on them, all surrounding this throne of God. Who are these 24 thrones of 24 elders? I want to argue that these are God's people. These are God's people around the throne of God. And, and how do I know that? Why do I think that? Well, it's no coincidence that the number 24 was chosen here. Here's a little Old Testament trivia for you, okay? How many tribes of Israel were in the Old Testament? Go ahead and shout it out. Twelve. Good. Now, in the New Testament, how many disciples of Jesus were there? Twelve. Good. Now, mathematicians, twelve plus twelve equals what? Twenty-four. So don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is what John is seeing here and recording for us. The twenty-four thrones with the twenty-four elders 
are meant to represent for us, symbolically, the fullness of God's people. The fullness of Jews and Gentiles, believing Jews and believing Gentiles who together form true Israel. And right now as we speak, these people, God's people, who have died no longer on earth, they are now in heaven. They're a part of these 24 elders surrounding the throne of God, which means what? Not only was their sin not final, not only was their suffering not final, but you know what else? For God's people, death. The worst thing that can happen to you, death isn't even final. I don't know how to make this better than it is. If you die tonight in Christ Jesus, what happens? You start the first day of the rest of your life with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever been to a believer's funeral? I'm guessing, I'm I'm hoping we all have. I'm hoping we all know believers. Of course we know people who have passed. Well, if you've been to a believer's funeral, and, and perhaps you're a believer, you know that it's, a, it's, it's normal to grieve the fact that they're no longer with us. That's very normal. But if we really knew they were a believer, like we saw, like they were a believer, we don't actually grieve their deaths. I'm going to show you a picture on the screen of a lady named Kathy Keller. Many of you should know her. There's definitely leaders. This is the wife of Tim Keller. Tim Keller recently died, I believe it was of pancreatic cancer. I, I could have that wrong. But he died of cancer. This is Kathy Keller. And, and at her memorial, that is Kathy Keller at her husband Tim's memorial service. I'm just going to read what she says. She says it so wonderfully. She says, Tim, that's her husband, Tim is buried in St. Michael's Cemetery. But that place is huge, and you couldn't find the grave even if you tried Then she says this, but please don't try. And here's why I don't want you to. You know those scenes in movies like at the end of Saving Private Ryan where someone has a heart-to-heart talk standing at the headstone of the deceased person? Tim and I were always uncomfortable with those scenes because the person isn't actually there. So Kathy Keller here, she's saying, yeah, go, go find Tim's tombstone. Like, like, good luck. Go find any believer's tombstone. But why the heck would you try? That person you're visiting, they're not there. Do you have a, a believing family member or friend who's passed away? Like, go to their headstone if that makes you feel better. But they're not there. If they were a believer, they're in heaven. <laughs> Not at this tombstone, so don't talk to them. They're in heaven. They're with God. I just want you to look at this picture of Kathy Keller. This is at her husband's funeral. By the world standards, this is supposed to be her at her weakest and worst moments. She just lost her husband to cancer. But just, like, look at her. Does this look like a lady at her worst moment? No. No. Because Kathy Keller realizes that her husband, Tim, trusted in Jesus. And now, finally, all of the suffering he was going through, it's gone. And he is with the one that he spent his life trusting and chasing after. 
Heaven is not empty. Yes, God is there. That's what makes heaven's, heaven heaven. And surrounding God is all of his people who have died down here and who went to go be with him up there. And so very practically, what does that mean for you and me? I don't know if you realize this. Teenagers sometimes think they're invincible, but you will die. Sooner rather than later, relative to time. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, just like Tim Keller, you will go up there. You will go to heaven. And so down here tonight, you may be struggling with sin, you may be suffering, and one day you are going to die, but your sin, your suffering, and your death are not final. You will immediately, upon your death, go be with the Lord your God in heaven up there. So to quote one of my my favorite Christian rappers, Trip Lee, this is what he says. He says, death is just a doorway to take me to my favorite lover. That's what death is. Like, believers, if God gives you more time down here, like, that's great. That means you can live for God down here. But if he takes your life away tonight and calls you up there, that's even better. Because then you and I can live in his presence forever and ever and ever. Tell me what's better than that. Why are you afraid of death, believers? What do you have to fear? And this is going to bring us to our final point of the night. Until God calls you up there, join in the never-ending worship taking place up there, down here. Until God calls you up there, join in the never-ending worship down here. In this chapter, we get two pictures of what's taking place right now in heaven as we speak. Right now, in heaven, as we speak, 1 John sees four living creatures falling down before the throne of God and worshiping. Let's read Revelation 4, 6 through 8. This is what John sees. He says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures. Each of them with six wings. Full of eyes all around and within. Day and night. They never cease to say. Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And this is a bit of a strange text for us, but don't miss its simplicity. We're not going to get complex with this one, just very, very simple. These four living creatures are falling down day and night, day and night, day and night, never once ceasing and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We sang that song, Holy Forever, earlier. It is a good song. These living creatures are literally singing holy forever to the Lord God Almighty. They spend every single day, every single night, every single breath singing praises to the Holy One, to the Holy, Holy, Holy God. And then John sees, after these four living creatures, 
He sees the four, the 24 elders, which you've already identified as the fullness of God's people. And guess what they're doing? They hear these living creatures singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, never ending in the worship. And these four living, these 24 uh, elders, they stand up and they sing to this God. Revelation 4, 9 through 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him. You see, this is not just hands in my pocket, like I'm just saying, like I want to go anywhere else. They're falling down before the Holy One seated on the throne. They know who God is because he's seeing God and they're worshiping him and they're saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So first John sees these four living creatures, they're falling down in never-ending worship, but then he looks and he sees the 24 elders, God's people, falling down in never-ending worship. You notice what they're doing in verse 10. It says they're casting before the throne their crowns. You see, as they worship God in heaven, God's people, they realize that it's he, it's he alone, the Lord God Almighty, who has rescued them from their sin, adopted them into his family, given them eternal life. Students, lest you think that you will do anything to get yourself into heaven, pay close attention to what the elders in heaven, the, the people of God are doing right now as you speak. They're taking their crowns off and they're casting them before the throne of God. They're acknowledging that it is you, O oh God. It is you, not me, that has got me here. This is the gospel, students. Hear the gospel tonight. Your works, your accomplishments, your crowns will not get you into heaven. They're not good enough. You can't work your way up there. But the gospel is that Jesus' works, the crown of thorns that he chose to wear for you, his accomplishment through his death and resurrection, what he has done, that is the only thing that gets you into heaven. And if you acknowledge that now and trust in that now, you will throw your crown before him in heaven with these elders. One day, if you're a believer, this will be you casting down your crowns before the Lord. You will be singing holy forever in his presence with all the angels and with all the people of God. That day, students, is coming. It's waiting on you. It is soon. So what do we do now? Do we just wait on that day to happen? Like with our hands in our pockets, do we just wait? We don't wait. What we do is we get up off of our feet and we join the never-ending song of worship that's going on up there, we join that down here. And so this chapter, it's meant to remind us that life after this life, it's coming. My question is, where are you going to spend that life? Where are you going to spend eternity? And so what we're gonna do is we're actually gonna have a, a time of response and I wanna invite Israel and Grace back up and we're going to sing that song, Holy Forever. And there's really two ways to respond. At first, unbelievers. Like, hear me, unbelievers. What should you do tonight? Well, you need to realize that your death is coming as well. 
But instead of joining God in heaven with the rest of his people, you will be cast away from God for all of eternity, once and for all, and there will be no escape. There will be no middle ground for you to work your way back up. It will be over. You will be cast into hell forever, period. Tonight, unbeliever, trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. He gets you in. He is sufficient. But for us believers, man, look around you. Sin, suffering everywhere. You have forgotten why you're here. I've forgotten why I'm here. We are here to worship the Lord God Almighty down here to join the song that's happening up there right now. So we're going to sing holy forever. Unbelievers, you respond to the gospel tonight. Find a leader and talk. But to us believers, let's not idly stand in our hands and worship God. See the four living creatures. See the 24 elders. And would you worship the Lord God Almighty tonight? He is holy, 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 and he is worthy, worthy, worthy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace We thank you for the sufficiency of your cross. God, would unbelievers trust in that cross tonight? And would us believers rejoice that down here is not the end. There is an up there. There is a heaven. You are there. And we can't wait to join you there. God, may we worship you in spirit and in truth tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just stay with me.